Our second reading this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sights. While he was going, they were gazing up towards heaven. Suddenly two men in white robes stood before them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. They returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day at journey away. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Before I begin my sermon, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we have come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. Today we are concluding Luke's Gospel. We started the journey through Luke's Gospel back at Christmas. We've traced the journey and the life of Jesus throughout Luke's Gospel, and today we come to an end. Today's reading is the final verses of Luke's Gospel, and the second reading is the beginning of the book of Acts. And as some of you may know, the book of Acts was written by Luke, and it continues the ministry of the early church. But today's reading is kind of a recap of the end of Luke. If you watch much TV, no doubt you've seen a show begin with last week on whatever show you might be watching, and it recaps it, and that's kind of what the chapter of Acts is doing. And Luke's gospel ends with Jesus ascending into heaven. And we have to realize what a whirlwind it's been for the disciples. Starting in Holy Week, they come into the city of Jerusalem with cheering, with applause, with people yelling Hosanna. Jesus goes into the temple and overturns tables and drives out the money changers. And his popularity grows. He gathers with his disciples in the upper room and has a sacred, holy meal. But when they go out into the garden to pray, he's... He's betrayed. He's arrested. 
They watch as he's put on the mockery of a trial and he's crucified. And they mourn the loss of their teacher, their leader, the man they thought was Messiah. Three days later, he rises from the dead. He appears to them in an upper room and shows them the wounds in his hands and his feet. He's back. He's with them once again. They have not lost their leader after all. But now a mere 40 days later, he's leaving them again. This time for good. And they watch as he is lifted up into heaven. They watch as he ascends into the sky and is obscured by clouds. And they're left with the question, what do we do now? Our leader is gone. Our teacher is gone. They're like a boat without a rudder. They aren't sure what to do. But Jesus did not leave the disciples empty handed. In this short passage in Luke, it shows what he did for them. He explained scripture, opened their hearts so that they would understand all that was written about him. They would understand the words of the prophets, the words of the law, how it built up to who Jesus was, what he meant. This gave them a firmer understanding of who he was as Messiah, of what their relationship to God was. More than that, he promises them power on on high. He promises God's gift of the Holy Spirit. And he gives them a mission. Now, I'll be honest, when I was preparing this sermon, two images kept coming to my mind. You could tell one of them from the the title of the sermon, Your Mission, Should You Choose to Accept It? I kept thinking of the old show and the movies, Mission Impossible. But we were this close to having a picture of Jake and Elwood Blues on our cover this morning. Of the Blues brothers who were on a mission from God. I finally decided not to because I didn't know if about copyright laws and and thought that that might be a little too much for some of you, so I, I left the Blues Brothers out of our bulletins. But Jesus says to the disciples, you are the witnesses of these things. And I'm sending you what my Father promised. They are his witnesses. The book of Acts, the recap, takes it even better, further. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples are given a mission. They finally understand who Jesus is. They finally understand what it means to be Messiah. They have witnessed all the works he's done, the turning water into wine, the walking on the water, the feeding of 5,000, the curing of the blind and the lame and the lepers, the reaching out to Zacchaeus and the sinful woman who is going to be stoned, reaching out to the Samaritan woman at the well. They've heard his teaching, his parables. And now they're to share it with the world. Now, what I think is really interesting about this 
is they're given the mission and they're told they will be equipped later on. You will receive power on high. You will receive the Holy Spirit. But now your mission is this. They're supposed to accept this mission to embark on this ministry before they're equipped for it. We see this in Scripture time again. We see Moses before God bowing down saying, I'm not a good speaker. Don't send me to speak to Pharaoh. And God saying, well, then I will send your brother with you. He could speak for you. We see Jeremiah saying, I'm but a child. I'm not equipped to speak your word. We see Isaiah saying, I am a man of unclean lips. And God equips them all. How many times have we been called to ministry, to mission, to serve on a committee, to do something for the church, but we felt that we were not ready, that we were not equipped, that we were not able to. Not trusting that God would equip us along the journey. Not trusting that God would empower us to complete the task unto which I'm, we were called. I'll never forget going to seminary. I did not grow up in the church. My church attendance was spotty throughout my youth. I came back to the church uh, in, in my mid-twenties, and after just a few short years, decided to go to seminary. And my classmates had been youth workers, they'd worked at Christian camps, they'd been steeped in the church. And I felt like a fraud. I was in constant fear of being discovered, of being called out. I did not feel equipped for ministry. I'll never forget my first day in Farmington, Illinois. My first day as a pastor as I got in my office and said, what do I do now? Luckily, I had boxes of books to unpack, so that gave me something to do. And then I got the call, the boiler was broken, this has happened, that had happened. All sorts of things that we did not talk about in my three short years at seminary. And I didn't feel equipped And I was afraid I'd be discovered as a fraud. I wish I could tell you that that was a feeling that went away. But I'm still plagued by those insecurities. There are still times when I feel like I am not equipped. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. It's not all the time, so please don't (laughs) take some assurance in that. But I do have assurance that God is going to equip me and God is going to guide me as I stumble through this ministry which he's called me. Friends, if you feel a nagging to help God's kingdom in some way, to participate in furthering God's ministry and mission here in Bowie or here in the world in some manner, but don't feel equipped, don't worry. God builds us up. Following God is a journey, not a destination. There's one of those bumper sticker theologies that I usually can't stand. It says, God doesn't call the equipped, but God equips the calls. And that's one that I carry with me. 
I think it's interesting that last week's readings, Jesus showed the disciples the holes in his hands, his feet, and his side. That after the resurrection, Jesus is still in a broken body. And it's that broken body that ascends to heaven. It's not some pure, lily-white, perfect body. But it's a body that bears the marks of the world. Bears the wounds that He sustained on this earth. And this reminds us that ministry isn't always easy. That our mission isn't always comfortable. That we will be wounded. We will be hurt. We will carry the marks of this world on our bodies. But if our Savior did, so can we. I love the detail that the Acts adds that Luke left out. That after the ascension, the disciples are just standing there looking up. And what else could you do? What else can you do but look up in amazement? You've just seen Jesus, the Messiah, lifted up into the clouds. And then two men in dazzling white robes appeared to them and said, what are you doing here? Why are you just standing there looking at the sky? Go, get out of here. Go do what Jesus told you to do. When Heather and I first entered the adoption process, our caseworker quickly matched us with a birth mother and said, now I'm going to tell you for your own Safety. Don't share this with too many people. And we thought, that's ridiculous. We're going to tell everyone we know. We're going to be parents. This is so exciting. And then a month later, when the birth mother had changed her mind, we had to go back and tell everyone and share our grief. The next time we were matched with a birth mother, we thought, well, it won't happen twice. And we shared it and asked for prayers and were excited. And again, we had to share the bad news. This happened again before we finally learned our lesson. And I remember when we got the call about Hannah, that there was a mother who's due in three days who wanted us to parent her child. We were so excited. We wanted to shout it from the rooftops. But we couldn't. We didn't. We called three people. We called both of our parents. And we called one dear friend because they had suggested we go shopping for uh, to buy gifts for the birth sisters. And our friend had children about their age, so we enlisted her to help us buy essential baby needs and gifts. And that was it. We had received some of the best news of our lives, and we wanted to run and shout and share it. Because that's what you do when you have good news. That's what you do when something amazing happens to you. That's why the angels told the disciples not just to stand there. They had received amazing news. They had received the gospel, the good news. They had witnessed one of the most remarkable events in the history of humanity. 
the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. So how could you just stand there and not share it? Not shout it from their rooftops, not tell everybody you know. Friends, we may not be direct witnesses to these things. But we know it to be true. We've read the Gospels. We've heard God call to us. So how can we just sit there on Sunday and not shout it throughout the week? How can we come to church once a week and not further God's ministry every day in our lives? How can we not work to build up the kingdom of God with all that we know and all that we've experienced? How can we stand there just staring at the sky? Amen.